Hey everyone, it's Leah, and welcome to the Gaming for Trans Rights Tabletop Podcast. This week we're thrilled to be interviewing the creator of Dragon Hearts, the game we've been playing for the last couple of episodes. Uh, and we're super psyched because we had a great time talking to him, and we're, we're sure you're going to have a great time uh, listening to us discuss this very cool game. Um, content warnings up front, uh, the game does include violence and a couple of sexual themes, uh, and we discuss those. Um, also, a note about uh, Dante's audio. Uh, Dante was here for the interview, but unfortunately uh, there were some issues with their audio, uh, so you won't be hearing them this episode, unfortunately. Um, but they, they will certainly be audible uh, in, the, in the next one. So we hope you join us and enjoy the show. everybody to GTRTP, the Gaming for Trans Rights Tabletop Podcast. Uh, this is our Dragon Hearts interview episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to our uh, four-part playthrough of the game, you might be a little lost, uh, but either way, uh, I think you're going to have a great time meeting the creator. Uh, so uh, my name is Leah, my pronouns are they, them. I'm John, he, him. And I am Moss, they, them. And introducing the the creator of this game himself. Hi everyone, I'm Alex Guerrero. Uh, my pronouns are he him. Thank you so much for being on the show. As we keep saying behind the scenes, we are absolutely thrilled to be two for two on having the hosts on. Hell yeah! Up top, I was gonna say like I can't believe we're uh, batting one thousand right now for getting creators uh-huh. on. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Helps that we like all know each other. <laughs> yes so i thought it would be good to kind of like begin at the like at the top of the of the design document um Mm. or like the the rules book and kind of work our way down from there because the first thing i wanted to ask wanted to talk about was the support flower the safety mechanic that was like the first thing that we talked about um oh yeah yeah so alex where'd you get the idea for it because i remember we talked about it as kind of like an expansion of like the x card uh which i think is it's mentioned directly in the text um uh uh where did you come up with the idea of the safety flower or the support flower yeah so this uh is a a safety tool that's had kind of a a weird history to get to me uh so first there was a tool called support signals that was developed by jay silvano and then the support flower was adapted from that by Taylor Stokes. I've never met either of these people, and I haven't really succeeded at, like, finding out who they are or what their deal is beyond this one tool. Like, you can find it on Itch.io, but it looks different than the one that I got. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I've tried, like, I can't really find the Twitter or anything for them. So if if uh, either of those people is listening or if anybody who knows them, like, knows what's up with them, I just thought, wow, what a great idea. This is great. Uh, cause the, you know, thing that I really wanted to have in Dragon Hearts is a, a really heavy emphasis on like enthusiastic consent, you know, not yes. just like, I'm okay with this happening, but like, here we go. I want to see this happen. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, this was designed in the heady pre-pandemic days when you could actually have a safety tool in the middle of a table and reach out mm-hmm. and touch it, which was amazing uh, for the short time you were able to do that. Yeah, and, that was one uh, thing that we like, ran up against pretty quick was we realized like this is a great tool to have in a physical space where you can like... So yeah. for the audience, like a reminder that the, flower, the safety flower is a multi-ringed kind of uh, like diagram of like of different petals that uh, elaborate on uh enthusiastic consent um kind of like uh various anxieties um or like uh cautious or kind of like a cautious wording around subject matter and the center of the flower which is no let's try something else um and it's it's difficult to employ this in a virtual space you can't yeah, you kind of just got to verbalize thing. what you want to do, and right. a lot of the utility of a tapping a thing on the table is that you can express it without having to verbalize yeah. mm-hmm. what like you want you to change, which this... may be anxiety-producing, but yeah, we do like what we Maybe can. you could make this work on, like, virtu- like tabletop sim, or, like, if everyone's in the same, like, virtual tabletop mm-hmm. software, then, you know, you could ping a, a rose, uh, or a ping a, a, a petal or something. Yeah, um, you can also, like, if you use basic hand signals or things and you're all on video, you can do a degree yeah, of fair. communication, but not necessarily, like, all the nuance of the different stuff that's on the pedals. Yeah. Yeah, which it's is, a shame. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. which is what I really liked about it. Um, I like that each pedal uh, verbalizes a different kind, uh, a, like, a, a different kind or flavor of, like, um, uh, you know, the area in between, yes, I'm into this, and no, let's try something else. The... Uh, let's be careful moving forward or please mm-hmm. pay attention or this is getting real. These are all th- things where it, like it demands people um, like pe- it demands people's like thoughtfulness, but in different ways. And I like that it, it has multiple, I like that it verbalizes these in multiple different ways so that people become familiar with that. I think that a big problem that like stops people from like vocalizing their discomforts is not having the words at hand. Um, and not knowing what to say. And so I like that this kind of, it, it puts it out there in an accessible way. Yeah, it's very cool. Because mm-hmm. I really wanted to, like, in a game where you have, you know, a lot of things that could be either amazing or, like, a, a triggering or uncomfortable thing for people, mm-hmm. you know, that you're like, okay, I, we might have, like, shape-shifting, body horror stuff, yeah. we have romance stuff, we have, like, the places where things like that intersect with each other mm-hmm. and you know maybe you're like yeah 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 let's go or you're like uh, <laughs> i'm sorry what like your jaw does what and it gets <laughs> and you know you, you definitely want to make sure that the other person is as into that as possible and and i yeah. did you know do an amount of effort in sort of baking that into all of the rules as much as possible mm-hmm. uh like in the um in each other's arms scene you know there yes. are lots of responses that you can do in varying ways so if someone wants to try and you know do something that you don't like move into your personal space too close you can just use your breath weapon to send them hurtling across (laughs) the battlefield which they are suddenly in yeah yeah i i i like that all of kind of like the the prompts within the sub games are i believe moss you you talked about it as like arrows pointing to other people like these are these are actions that require that require responses and give um, like authorship of the scene to the other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't like like these these actions aren't like uh, I I grab you by the throat 
uh period it's like um like what do we have like what do we have here in um at each other's throats it's like i pin you by force or by bulk do you resist or submit it, it immediately yeah. like like gives it immediately like gives action to the other person um and then their like, conversations that, yes exactly have any of y'all played uh, Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands, by the way? Yes. No, yeah. but Moss, yes, uh, Moss recommended that. Yes. I've played all of the Firebrand Systems games I can find. Yes. Uh, yours so was good. one of the only ones I hadn't played yet, Alex. I've played Firebrands, <laughs> I've played The King is Dead, I've played Hearts of Magic, and now I've played Dragonhearts. <laughs> That's great. I uh, really so want to play yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's an amazing game. I love it a lot. It's I, so but basically, the, the reason that I made Dragonhearts was because I played uh firebrands like once or twice a week for about a year let's go uh, nice and then by my like you know of my extremely small number of critiques for this amazing game by uh mega and vincent baker is that when you are in your human forms you're going to your or your your humans you're going around and dancing and doing things and having mm-hmm. a great time uh but when you are being pilots of your mecha then you mostly are just fighting uh, and they they have like in you know occasional prompts of like oh I open the cockpit of your mech in a in a romantic way or something, mm-hmm. um, but you know generally speaking the mechs do not end up kissing and I was like what if what if you could <laughs> what, if, hmm, what if you could also kiss when you are big and dangerous oh, I, I also think, love yes. that essentially there's no built in assumption in any of the sub games of Dragon Hearts that you have to be in a dragon form or a human form yeah like that's customizable and we did customize that in a bunch of different directions mm-hmm. and it also it really affected the tonality of the characters to a degree because some of our characters were usually humanoid and some of them were usually dragonish mm-hmm. and when they changed that or sort of went off common approach that like was its own form of communication that affected the scenes oh, and also some of us changed that. a bunch over time like you know felicio became like made of like molten lava and bronze and, and things and crystal mira and yeah yeah M- mira like partially shattered and reformed um and got like filled in with like rivulets of metal yeah um, oh that know, part was so cool that was hardcore <laughs> um like lore lore had stuff about like the nature of her blood change um yeah you know and West was a mountain and then spent some time being mostly a dragon and then became a mountain again at the end. So yeah. the shape-shifting energy is definitely a thing that I really, really like about the game. And it's it's engaging to know that that is part of the tonality that led you to make it its own distinct system rather than just hacking firebrands. Right, yeah. I, I originally was planning on being kind of lazy about it because I thought, well, how hard could it be? I'll basically just take a firebrand, I'll find mobile frame, replace dragon, and like, it's fine, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then I realized, oh, I actually, for one thing, can't do that because i you know have adhd and i have to like get all into every little thing when i'm hyper focused on it uh this game was actually written i i had the idea for it in my head for i want to say a couple of years or at least like i you know i thought about it very intensely for a while uh and and sort of had like various ideas that i kind of glommed together uh into into dragon hearts that were all like you know a couple of words in a google doc somewhere uh-huh. or a note um and then uh the sword dream jam uh hey. 
was the first game jam that I participated in because I totally missed the the sad mecha jam where everybody did a bunch of cool games. Return of the uh, sad mech jam. Oh, this is cool. Oh, we're, it's we're so good. More I, itch lore. Yeah, yep. I learned about it from Moss, and I was like, "That sounds really cool." Oh, it's over. <laughs> ah, dang! <laughs> Happily, it set off a cascade effect of a fuckload of jams, which is good for me because my my sad mech jam, my sad mech jam game. Wow, that my mouth did not want to say that. <laughs> Was a very slapdash little thing that I don't regret writing, but I don't even know how playable it is, honestly. I've played it once. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But then I got really into game jams, too, and started hyping them up to my friends. So you're welcome for Dragon Hearts, apparently. I didn't know <laughs> Oh, this. absolutely. Um, yeah. And also, of that, course, I wrote line. This Party Sucks in a game jam. So Awesome. Created deadlines. Created yeah. deadlines yeah. help. It really, it really helped that time, especially. I basically mm-hmm. did most of the actual writing of Dragon Hearts in, like, a hyper-focused fugue state over the course of like three days nice. just like oh God. <laughs> going okay okay i've got i've got these ideas and just blast it out there and mm-hmm. I, I i was using uh what was i using like microsoft publisher or something which i hadn't really used before but i was like i'll mm-hmm. get i'll get this and be like a real game designer doing a layout and then it turned <laughs> out to be like really annoying because like i couldn't get the margins to work right or something so <laughs> there there are various places in the game where like the wording's a little bit awkward or like the there are sentences that are just like kind of abrupt because as you can tell i when i have the ability will just sort of keep pouring forth words to fill any available <laughs> vacuum uh and so i had a lot of like oh yeah this is this prompt is like you know 25 words and i was like oh i can only fit nine words or else it goes over the line and then it then it doesn't fit on the page anymore okay uh that's so interesting i've never thought about um like um i guess uh formatting constraints as um writing limitations i mean of yeah. course that, that i think that that's that must be something that like every everyone who's worked in as, as like a journalist or uh someone who's had to like do like publication work uh work is like yeah idiot of course um but like um, <laughs> or just make a mini zine that'll that'll really wrinkle your brain right like fill um, the booklet out of one page and then figure out how long your game can be <laughs> but I've, I've always found the interaction of the medium and the content to be uh like fascinating uh so it's, it's really it's really cool to hear how like limitations and abbreviations are like generated by <laughs> not wanting to go over the page limit <laughs> um and i also had a, a very like weirdly uh probably appreciated by almost no one like who realizes it but hopefully uh appreciated subconsciously by many people uh decision to make the font like big so that you can actually read Mm -hmm. it uh because a lot of a lot of games just have small 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 letters uh and and i was just like no i i have to be able to like read this without you know picking it up and holding an inch from my face uh so yeah, those I don't two think I've ever had combined. to zoom the PDF while reading it, and I've had to yeah. do oh. that with a number of other games, mm-hmm. so bless you for that. I'm so Alex. glad. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that worked. It's very <laughs> thank thoughtful. You for, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you for making something legible at 100%. <laughs> yes. <view. laughs> yeah, it just, it uh, it was a thing that I, I'm, I'm glad that that's appreciated, because I was like, this is a weird thing to care about, but like, I do care about it, so I'm yes. doing it that way, even if it uh, probably makes the game worse in some ways, but mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> 
one of these days I'll uh, I'll re reformat it using Affinity Publisher or something, which is much better, and I actually know how to use a lot more. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see how many more words I can sneak in there. Mm, maybe some <laughs> illustrations. Yeah. Yeah. Go wild with it. I know. That's the funny thing about the the Firebrands framework is you don't really have a lot of room for Mm-mm. illustrations in your in your nice, beautiful, you know, everything's on the same page things for your games. But I'll I'll figure it out. Maybe somehow. just some splash pages in the middle. Or, yeah, or like yeah. make it, or like make them kind of like um, half opacity, kind of like watermark things behind the prompts. Oh, that um, would be cool. Yeah, so like there's a dragon behind your uh, like prompts for blood brass or uh, blood breath and qualities or something like that. Yeah, uh, that could be fun. Curling around and putting their little head on top. Yeah, of the left. yeah, <laughs> yeah. My mom years and years ago made a font design where all the letters were dragons. It's definitely not digitized, but I hadn't thought of it in years. Oh, <laughs> I wonder cool. if she still has those pictures anywhere. That's cool. That's very cool. Well, awesome. That kind of that kind of brings me to one of my questions that I had. Mm. Um the 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 dragon script, I mean. Um so when I was a kid, uh Barnes and Noble published these like dragonology <gasps> books that was like oh, yeah. dragon yeah. script and different oh, kinds yeah. of dragons. Uh, and I was a huge fan, and I read all of those. I had the little thing where you put together little cardboard minis of the dragons, and uh, and then I, I was also like, I read Aragon. Like every kid my age, I think read Aragon in like middle school, high school. Um, and I was curious as to like what what are your dragon influences? Like when yeah. you think of like iconic Great dragon question. media. Oh, that's like, such a good question. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I, man, I why don't people ask me this all the time? I just want to come on <laughs> podcast and talk about dragons. Well, now you uh, know you can bring it up now for people. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I think a lot of people want to focus on high-minded things like the game concept no. and like the emotions behind it. I want to know about your mm-hmm. your dragon media takes. Yeah. Well, have you read Dragonology? Of audio. Yes. I I'm pretty sure I did because that was the one with the really good illustrations, right? And they had like mm-hmm. here's the little tiny dragons with the scale like it was dinosaurs and stuff and don't orb yeah. in the middle of it mm. <laughs> that's true and uh i think probably my first like the really solid childhood influence for me was an illustrated book of saint george and the dragon uh let me see if i can look it really? up Ooh. and it's it's so beautiful i have to look up who the artist is Okay, let me paste this into the thing. Ooh, maybe we'll have, like, links in the show notes or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To the dragon influence list. For the folks at home, this is a book cover that's got a sort of central panel of a gigantic twining green and blue and goldish dragon with huge spurts of flame coming out of its nose and mouth, and it looks like it's holding... Or like a knight is sort of standing on it and like leaping towards its outstretched claw, and then there's little sort of mini portraits on the sides that look like they're of a knight and a princess. Yeah, and it had this uh, this lovely sort of like almost illuminated manuscript quality to it, where uh, oh, yeah. they have like these borders that just had like you know beautiful flowers and things, and then like little sort of just thematically related things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, I'll see if I can find it. There's one page where, like, you see the dragon, you know, in all its glory. And around the edges, it has these different images of, like, 
sea monsters. There's like a you know a, a kraken and a great whale and a shark and a snaky thing and stuff like that. And it's cool. it's just a really like interesting way of sort of imbuing this dragon with like oh this uh, this has the the might and the qualities of all of these other beings you know and you're like what just oh my god straight up like here there be monsters like yeah uh, (laughs) like old old map embellishment energy all bearing down on the scene Mm -hmm. yeah what what a cool and like historical kind of like origin uh for yeah. like dragon fascination mine was spyro the dragon on the ps1 but like amazing yeah. <laughs> that's very good too that's very good but like oh, yeah, this I think is really like, cool yeah that cover image the dragon is like i think it's grabbing onto saint george's shield and just like yeah. wrapping its claws around the whole shield you know to rip it out mm-hmm. of his hand and like there's all the coils of it just sinuously going everywhere and i was mm-hmm. just like Oh my gosh, it's so, you know, it's just everything. This is the best. Uh, and I think other influences would be there's a it, it doesn't hold up great, I don't think. Uh-huh. Uh I don't think I even rewatched it recently cuz I like I looked up somebody's review and I was like this seems now it's not going to hold up called uh Flight of Dragons. It's like a mm. 1980 something animated movie. Yeah, 1982 it's got a pretty pretty good like beautiful sort of balladic uh like theme song where there's this guy who's just like waxing rhapsodic about the dragons flying in the sky and in your <laughs> mind and all this stuff <laughs> amazing uh, and I was like yes I I also <laughs> love when dragons are just flying in my mind and it had uh <laughs> Uh, a very weird, like, thematic emphasis on sort of science versus magic. It was kind of like a portal fantasy. Uh, I, you know, not exactly an isekai. I don't know. I, I think portal <laughs> fantasy is more accurate. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad you did. <laughs> this this modern, you know, college guy gets sent to this fantasy world. And then he's like, I will teach people how to do everything right with science and then he gets turned into a dragon and he's like this is scientifically impossible uh, <laughs> but what but like they also have a weird thing of like oh we're gonna try and make our dragons make sense so like the reason that they can fly because clearly somebody you know looked up the square cube law and was like what you can't possibly <laughs> lift a dragon of that weight with wings of this size and so they're like ah the dragons will chew on limestone to get like some some expansive gases mm-hmm. in their belly that allow them to be lighter and like lift up and then the reason they breathe fire is because they breathe out the same gas and they have a little like electric sparking organ in the back of their throat that lights oh. the gas on fire wait did did you, okay has anyone here yeah has anyone here seen the like discovery channel faux documentary on exactly that it was like that sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it, it was like, you know, what if we, like, uncovered a dragon from, like, a thawing glacier, and, like, this is what its biology could be like. And it, was, so it was precisely what you described. Um, <laughs> very fun. I hope it was the what same What if you person? uncovered a dragon in an ice cube, and then you brought it back to your ice base, and it started eating your dogs and transforming into all of your co-workers? <laughs> Oh, oh man, that actually reminded me. Another big dragon thing for me as a kid was uh, Bruce Coville, I think is his name, had a book called Jeremy Thatcher Dragon Hatcher. Oh my god, I loved that book. 
it was so good yeah it's a very like you know kid finds a weird monster pet Uh and they have to keep it and it's getting bigger and stuff and the dragon is named tiamat which is the first time i had ever heard that name and like he can communicate with her telepathically and he's Mm -hmm. raising this little dragon and their friends and oh it was so good what other what other had something else in my brain and now i'm getting distracted looking at the the dragons in flight of dragons look so goony because they're, <laughs> they're almost cool and then they do like the big puffed up tummy to fly and i'm like oh, i don't know about that it's just it's Please a little it's a little like images a, in the chat if you can sort of a sort of a charizard dragonite type look with like mm-hmm. the big tummy and i'm like i the, I want the I want the sinuous proportions of the of the the other dragon. I don't know. Yes. I have like weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming the dragons in Terry Pratchett's Discworld were not an early childhood influence, since most of them are, uh, like the most of the dragons in that universe are tiny and essentially all have chronic digestive issues. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, they're just little guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like the only like big real classic dragons have to come from like weird high magic pocket regions or be from other dimensions that are more magic rich because essentially you need you need super high magic density to make a dragon be able to like fly without doing some gnarly chemical reactions (laughs) and maintain its existence awesome all right Uh, one of the one of the other ones just while we're on dragon talk uh and especially listeners if you've heard of this book DM me on Twitter because I've literally never met another human soul who has read this series, <laughs> and it's infuriating to me. So there's a Chinese American author named Lawrence Yap who is very cool and wrote a series um, that uh, starts with the Dragon of the Lost Sea and then goes on to oh, what is the second one? I didn't have all of them. I'd like get some of them for the library when I could and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's Dragon Cauldron and Dragon Steel and Dragon War. That's the fourth one. There's another one in there. Um, but they are really cool because I didn't even know this at the time, but they sort of infuse uh, some elements from Chinese mythology into this world of cool dragons and stuff. Uh, and it was like my first time ever seeing like the Monkey King. And I was like, who ah. is this guy? I love Ooh. him. Oh my <laughs> gosh. He can pull out the hairs on his tail and they turn into little monkeys and run around and do stuff. I hope there's more media that uses this character. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't see any for a while. And I kept being like, come on. He's the master of the 72 transformations. Where's the transformations? But like a lot of, you know, the, the sort of like <laughs> stuff you see that has some sort of Sun Wukong-esque character mm-hmm. in it is like, eh, we sort of kind of know who this is, but like maybe we're not paying that much attention because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we're just making a League of Legends character based on whatever. Not that <laughs> I'm necessarily dissing League of Legends, uh, but... Oh, I will. Yeah, this for, is a League for of that. This zone, feel free. <laughs> I'll diss them for plenty of other stuff. Yeah, uh, but it was very cool to see uh the the way that the dragons worked in this universe was just so neat you know because they're you know i i always feel like reptiles in general get like a bad rap mm-hmm. you know in your in your cartoons as a kid they're always the bad guys in red wall they're like oh all the reptiles are non-sentient savages who like cannibalize each other and i was like this feels really racist to me a 12 year old like, <laughs> i don't i don't know about this buddy uh and 
then finally, when I'm reading uh, Dragon Cauldron, I think was the first one I read, and I'm like, wait a second, the dragons in this, like, talk and are intelligent and have a society, and, like, the dragon princess is super cool, and she's, like, stolen this dream pearl that manifests Ooh. illusions and, like, lifts up a flap of skin on her forehead that she can, like, put the pearl into and hide it there, and you're like, they have Hardcore. a he- head pocket? <laughs> yes! I love this! <laughs> This sounds a... very imaginative and cool. Oh, it's I'm zero so percent surprised that series. this was the kind of thing you grew up on, and then you made Dragon Hearts. Dragon I'm Hearts. also zero percent surprised that you're hyped about trickster characters. Oh like, yeah. yeah, oh god. Young Alex meeting the Monkey King and going, "Oh hell yeah!" makes oh absolute sense. <laughs> yep, very very formative book for me. That was yeah. sort of during my period of, like, I'm going to go to the library. My mom uh, worked at a library. She's a librarian. And mm. so I would just hang out at the library all the time and uh, just do, like, keyword search dragon and just, you know, go <laughs> down the list reading every dragon-related book in the public library. That's cool. And is, the, is your mom the one that gave you that, like, St. George and the Dragon uh, book? I'm trying to remember. That might have been my dad or my stepmom. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was just sort of like you, you know, I had a, a bunk bed with like a little bookshelf next to it, and it was just yeah. one of the books on the shelf. And I was like, was it for me or was it just sort of generally? Or was this just populated? By I read it a lot. So <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Nice. But uh, my my dragon keyword searching, I think, did lead me to to Lawrence Yep's books because I was like, oh, this author has written like five books with a dragon in it. I'm on board. Uh, surely, mm. surely this time doing that will not serve me poorly. Uh, <laughs> and it was very like I, I ended up getting a, a weird but ultimately very cool experience out of it because one of the other books that he's written is called Dragon Wings. And I was like, neat, that's great. What's what are Shimmer and the Monkey King and Thorn going to be up to this time? Uh, and then it's about a family uh, who immigrates from china to america and are like trying to build the transcontinental railroad they're like being treated horribly and there's like racism and they're having these cherished memories of this kite whose name is dragon wings that like he wanted Uh... to build and fly with his father but then like his father dies but he still remembers the kite and i was just like what is what is happening this is whoa this is so good and like you know he's like i just wanted to see the kite fly again you're like i want to see the fly i want to see it fly too bud oh my god yeah can can the can the dragon from the other book come and take care of you like it's a it's a really beautiful tragic story and you know i the first time that i learned about like how chinese american immigrants were treated really horribly Mm -hmm. by like railroad companies and exploited and stuff it was a, a big deal, uh, and that was a, a very cool thing that I just yeah. happened upon by searching for everything with dragon in it. Yeah, because a dragon keyword searching led you to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, God, that must be so different today. Like, you know, you, I'm yeah. sure if you put in, like, you, you're not going to come up with a list of, like, 70 books that you can eventually get through if you go on Kindle or whatever oh, and search dragon. The word right, dragon. Like <laughs> 300,000 books. I went through phases, yeah. I went through phases because I, um, yeah, would, like, just sort of, yeah, dive into a section or a topic. Uh, kind of parallel experience to your Alec, yours, Alex, I went through a period where I was going through all of the, like, compilations of American folklore Ooh. that the library had, and through that is how I learned about the Jim Crow South. Wow! Because there was a really, really well-organized, written-for-children folklore compilation of, like, Br'er Rabbit Tales, 
that had a bunch where it was like, these are the tales that were told by enslaved people. And then there's a break in the middle of the book, and then it says, Mm -hmm. these are the tales that were told by sharecroppers. You'll notice that they're almost the exact same structure, except (laughs) instead of (laughs) being actively enslaved, now people were financially held captive by having to, like, still rent land and live on property. Yeah. Um, owned by the same people who had previously enslaved them. So Br'er Rabbit goes from playing pranks on slave masters to playing pranks on landlords. And it's literally the same structure contained with the same people using the same folkloric tropes. Wow. And I was probably like nine and I was like, oh, dang. So props to that. More thorough than public school did. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's so cool how like each of our individual interests in mythology led us in different uh like uh, tangent like tangential interest directions mm-hmm. um that and i think that speaks to kind of like how mythology is a synthesis of like uh, of like so much of different like parts of like culture and history that are yeah. like brought together into storytelling and imagination uh and like I don't know that that's really cool how like you know you put a, a mythology book in the hands of a, an inquisitive child and that will inevitably lead them either you know into uh, into learning about like you know uh <laughs> like uh, uh like biology and taxonomy or like history or history and uh like I mean share- sharecroppers and yep, uh, or immigration like, yeah or immigration um I don't know that that's I think that's really cool yeah it's nice. So shout out to like... libraries. Yeah, hey, oh shout my God, out to libraries. libraries. Get a library card, everybody. Um, they I, they might be free, and you can get a, all kinds of stuff. Get audiobooks with your library card. It's what I do. Oh, yeah, it's the best. It's the my best. My library card, my physical library card from my hometown library, I still have, and it has bite marks on it because my parents uh, got it for me when I was an infant and still teething wow. because they already checked out so many library books on their own library cards that they wanted to get me my own library card so they could check out books like specifically to read aloud to me That's because <laughs> they were nerds that were maxing what, what out their relic. own card limits. Oh, that's so cool. It's a wild relic. It's got like beat up old stickers from like the summer reading challenges I did in elementary yeah. school. Yes. Yeah. Man, that's I I've been like taking some little notes based on uh, our other conversations. And I was like, dang, I should yeah. do that. One of the one of the things that I feel like is kind of a a not optimized part of the game is the uh, conceit that like, oh, it's been a thousand years since the previous eclipse, and like you don't really know the details of it because like maybe the the dragons who are old enough have sort of like gradually started taking longer and longer naps and are just not really around anymore Mm -hmm. um and very frequently someone will be like okay i remember so you know i had to read a lot of text before i made my character i don't know my character is a thousand years old and i'm like wait no that's the (laughs) one thing i said you couldn't be right uh (laughs) like it's fine you know yeah you can be you can be a mountain you can be a thousand years old It's, it's all good i just sort of wanted to like not necessarily have a I have firsthand experience of everything that was supposed to be mysterious and I will tell everyone about it, you know, right. position uh, to, to sort of keep things fun and interesting and have the, the characters sort of like bouncing off each other, not really knowing what the heck to do to achieve their destiny. Um, as opposed to someone being like, well, last time someone ate a magic fruit. So like, <laughs> I guess that's what you do. <laughs> 
Yeah, I made a character who was there but asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like something that I, I might want to do if I went in for a, a second draft is like mm-hmm. kind of clean up when you were talking about mythology i'm like yeah i want you know the the thing about the previous eclipse is that it has it has faded into myth you know and have mm-hmm. maybe some of the setup being like oh what's what is a a myth that is told about the previous eclipse and you know what's a different interpretation that someone else has yeah. that disagrees with that or something you know i like that Mm-hmm. or two truths and a lie of the world yeah hey. yeah I, I yeah. think that would be great because I remember a narrative challenge that we kind of had um, was establishing the stakes. Because I remember yeah. like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely went in uh, with the conceit that Felicio wants to win hard. Like, right. he, he wants this bad. Um, and I kind of like, you know, off the cuff kind of generated reasons of like, of like you know, this is going to lead like the socio-political kind of atmosphere and like things are stagnating and Felicia wants to jumpstart mm-hmm. like dragon society and culture again. But it was all quite like vague. vague. So like, I-, I think that having something there that would establish kind of like the, the um, uh, consequences of the last ritual and making that right. as integral mm-hmm. to the mythology, I think, would be very interesting in establishing. Kind yeah, because like that's sort of ritual. It's it's like implied if you really read between the lines mm-hmm. that like when you're establishing the truths, then these are also like things that have probably changed. You know, like oh, there's something that was true in ancient times but is no longer right. Yeah, maybe the world used to be a giant ocean and now it isn't or something. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of infer that that's because someone in the past was like, actually, I don't want it to be an ocean anymore. I've achieved <laughs> totality and I'm going to change it now. Now it's a big mm-hmm. desert or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I definitely feel like i i could probably do the players a service by sort of foregrounding that thought mm-hmm. process a little I, more yeah i remember i made my character was like very chill and ready to go with the flow on a lot of things but one of the only times i did express a strong like dragon political opinion it was that i specifically didn't want my own faction to ascend that was because cool. we ascended last time mm-hmm. i was like that's bad balance like we shouldn't do that i know there's two su- literally two sun dragon diplomats here even though we won last time i think this is bad we must be here for a reason but i don't think it's because sun dragon vision is supposed to have primacy half half the half the diplomats are sun dragons half of them are not that's balanced (laughs) it does sound like what would happen from the like the incumbent party Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's and, and I definitely did put a bit of that in there, sort of on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the sun dragons are like the ones who have created a bunch of things that now are sort of decadent and complacent, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can Which you can take well that off of as much as you yeah. want. Yeah, because I feel like that feeds too off of like the ways that some of the balances work in some, but not all of the other firebrand systems games, mm-hmm. where often you have someone who's like sort of the gentry or like the power force or like the landlords like the people who have some kind of established uh-huh. power structure and then right. often you have other groups that either like maybe were once in power or, but were kicked down or who are from outside of this system or structure or like visiting or new in some way and like the dynamics between those yeah how did how did that uh land with y'all with the the sun moon and void dragons um wh- what specifically do you have any, like, just feelings on them as factions and, like, 
you know, the ways that you interpreted them or how they related to each other or anything? Oh, I liked them. More than identifying with the different factions, I think I identified more with, like, factionalism. Like, tri- mm-hmm. like tribalism, um, like, between, like, different, these, like, different dragon societies. Um, but I definitely got, like, a a sense of, like, the different vibes from each clan. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, dovetails really nicely into kind of, like, discussing the, uh, like, character creation section of this. Oh, yeah. Which uh, mm-hmm. I thought was really cool and, like... One of the, the thing that probably strikes me the most about it is how um, like poetic and imaginative the descriptors are um, that you provide. So like you know, sundra- uh, the blood of these creatures is anything, um, and by anything like this extends into like I said like the poetic, where like moon dragon a moon a suggested moon dragon blood is magical equations. Um, a suggested sun dragon breath is verdant life uh a la west um like where what uh what motivated you to go so broad and so um like imaginative with these suggestions because i really liked it thank you uh i think probably like frustration with Uh just seeing the same thing too many times uh because like i love dragons and as we've talked about like they can kind of be anything Mm -hmm. and like breathing fire is great we all love fire you know it looks it looks amazing it's very powerful but like you know just just amp it up a little bit just Mm -hmm. try and try and play around with some other things um and and you know if you're maybe your breath is not necessarily a weapon right maybe you breathe ancestral spirits and then you can like just sort of calmly like mist out a group of ancestors into your room yeah. and consult them about something you know um i yeah, really Mira's wanted nostalgia to... breath i was that was really really I plot powerful and cool wanted to call that out i i think yeah. it's incredible how that played into like the climax of felicio that was so cool yeah. uh interaction which we will get to later uh because we are absolutely going to talk about that shit mm-hmm. um there's so much, so much good stuff to potentially ramble about, both but the yeah. game specifically and just, like, the vibe of dragons in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's also interesting, too, in that, you know, it's like, we created our characters and we had a massive range, you know? It's like, we've got, mm-hmm. we've got like, a sort of writer theme. We've got this, we've got this nostalgia breath. And then, you know, we goofed on it when it happened. Two of us made sun dragons and one was an ancient mountain and one was like rainbow cum gutters. So, <laughs> so congrats on the flexibility of your game system, Alex. For as real. I suppose yes. Yeah. I was very pleased uh, to see that uh, Felizio had the horde of erotica, which I yes. don't Absolutely. think I've seen anyone like, no, maybe I've seen one or two people like pick that, but I'm like, come on, come on. I put it on the list. Come on, go for it. <laughs> Be brave. I'm, I'm so sorry. It didn't play a larger role. <laughs> I think that... it informed Felicio's overall vibe. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Oh, yeah, that was one uh, one behind-the-scenes thing uh, that I that I did with the character creation. Uh, and you can let me know how, how it, well or poorly you feel like it worked for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, was with the blood, I really wanted to mm-hmm. have a reason to encourage people to, like, get hurt. Because mm. uh, oh. the way that the you know, combat system, for lack of a better word, works, uh, is 
basically saying, I try to do a thing. Does it work? And then the other person is like, yeah, it does. Or yeah, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how, however they want it to go. So theoretically, you can have a battle where it's like, oh, I leap in the air and I shoot a glittering arc of rainbows that, you know, blinds you. And then I slash through it with my tails whipping out. And I do mm-hmm. I do I get you with it? And they're like, nope, I get out of the way. And then I turn, like, no, I, get, I got out of the way again, actually. No, I never get hit. Uh, <laughs> I'm just it's like really the person good. in like an improv scene that brings a gun. You know, exactly. it's, just, it's not fun anymore. You're not. Yeah, I know you yeah. mean they bring a gun within the improv narrative. But <laughs> oh, I just yes. imagine someone yes. just like threatening their improv group. Like, no, we're going with my idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of yes and it's no gun. <laughs> um. So, so my my question that I was kind of excited to ask creators when we started it is, you know, what like one which you don't really need to answer is is like what what does queerness mean to you, and then what role do you think it plays in the community of tabletop gaming, and then what role does it think you think it plays in your game, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and vice versa? How how do tabletop games affect the queer community? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I picked my name through one. <laughs> Nice. Oh shit, I picked my name through a Firebrand system game, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I named, That's I named perfect. the next pilot Moss, and then I realized that maybe I was just going to keep being Moss. It's a good name. It's a good name. Hey, John. <laughs> you remember the character I built uh, for one of your campaigns that just used, uh, like, Glimmer or Glamour? Glimmer? Uh, and and spells to like keep their appearance changed all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Nice. I can cut that out. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, I think I interestingly didn't like all the way identify as queer at the time I was writing this game, and then I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a lot of like really good, you know queer and trans metaphors for for my queer and trans friends because i want them to be comfortable <laughs> playing this game right mm-hmm. uh, you're just a really good ally yeah i'm just a really really good ally tale as old as time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shape-shifting not even once as <laughs> soon as you realize that the m- body is a plaything of the mind then all bets are off and you're about to <laughs> overthrow <laughs> christian hetero- heteropatriarchy or whatever <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, I definitely, looking at it, you know, I I think pretty much, like, sort of came to terms with my own queerness over the course of writing this game, where I was just like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, what if you could, yeah, what if you could, like, do this, and what if you could change that, and, like, why, why should you be required to stay the way you are? It's, it's a fucking imagination game. Like, you, your character can be taller, or they can have a tail, or they can change their gender, they can change their voice, or their pronouns, or, like, whatever they want, right? Like, what? why would you limit yourself? It, it makes as little sense to me to limit one of those things as any of the others in this context. Speaks to the trans furry overlap, too. Oh, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I, that's, what a good overlap. What, 
What a good game. It is. Yeah. I mean, we've all, I've already talked about the web comics I read. We all know. Um, <laughs> also, Alex, I feel like because you talked about your writing process before and you say you, you um, figured out some things about your queerness through the course of writing this game, I have to ask, do you mean you figured out some things during the two-year brainstorming process or the three-day fugue state or both? I think it was <laughs> mostly in, like, reading it over again later and realizing, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, like... Because for a minute there, I was I was like, yeah, do I submit Dragon Hearts to like queer games bundles and things? It's mm. like this game has a a I feel like unfortunately slightly infrequently used uh mini game the the uh, ritual at the Sky Mountain because people are sort of like, what is that? That sounds cool and portentous. And like I don't know, maybe I'll do it later, <laughs> and you sort of don't get to it by the end of the game. <laughs> I'm really glad that y'all got one in uh, or got some in because that's. That's it was a awesome. cool one too. We yeah. had some. We had several cool ones. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad because I, I and feel like one it's... really not cool one. You know <laughs> who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I was just like, yeah, I want to have this this thing where the character can change whatever they want, and and I think it was even like significantly more explicitly like this is a trans metaphor if you want it to be and like have as many ritual at the sky mountains as, as you want you know or like you're a you're a shapeshifter come come into a scene looking different than you did in the previous mm-hmm. scene like it's fine that's something you can just do uh because I, I think i had sort of assumed a little bit that like people would realize that they could do that uh and then didn't really notice people doing it much in playtesting and i was like no, do it more. <laughs> like you, you, you have permission from me, be the game designer. Transgender. Like, just, just be cha- transgender. <laughs> have have, have your it character through the PDF. Yeah, no. have your character trans their gender like in the middle of a prompt, like casually. <laughs> right? It's it is completely within your power. Uh, and so the the putting in you know some of the verbiage in the ritual at Sky Mountain was sort of my attempt to like. But really, mm-hmm. you can. I promise. It's going to be mm-hmm. fine. Uh, and then having that be a game that is sort of like a little bit off on its own, a little bit of a one-player game, and then like having that have the choice between either doing the ritual or doing the ancestral meta dream. I feel like you know mm-hmm. people look at it and they'll go, I'll do that later. I'm going to do the other one, and they don't get to it. Uh, so that's, that's one of my regrets is like not making it even more continually explicit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I may well end up changing some things for that you know it's one of those things where i was like oh this used to be so much better and then i had to like fit both of those games in with the margins and the word size and everything i'm like crap i can't get it all the fit software again yeah but yeah so so like by the process of like developing the uh, by the process of developing this and wanting to like give players the agency to change whatever they want about them it sounds like you kind of came to a realization about like not wanting to limit yourself um, yeah like that cuz i definitely uh sorry oh no g- keep talking <laughs> i definitely like you know had been sort of like eh, am i straight i don't know something something but like i think one of the weird stumbling blocks for me uh and this is such a a thing of this time was seeing a like uh a a twitter meme of like everybody in the mummy from 1999 is like super hot and i was like (laughs) yeah i mean everybody except like brendan fraser is he doesn't really do it for me 
but like you know all of the other i was like yeah obviously you know emotep hot as hell like, like this is all all like tortured and like amazing and then um oh what's his name the uh the guy with the cool like wavy sword i'm like oh i love oh, this guy yes. I friggin' used to know his name. I'm looking it up now. What is it? What's the name of the character that like steals their horses? Is it like Benny, Benny. or Benji or something? Benny. Uh, the actor that played Benny uh, was in a couple of horror movies, including I think one of Clive oh. Barker's movies. Uh, not one of the Hellraisers, but uh, so he was at a screening at one of our local like uh, indie movie theaters oh, no uh, a couple years ago. So I've, I've actually. I didn't like meet him face to face, but I've seen him. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, there we go. Ardeth Bay, the the Medjai, uh, mm-hmm. and his amazing, beautiful sword, which is <laughs> mm, I love a recurve on a sword. They're so good. <laughs> but uh, you know, I remember seeing that meme and being like, "Oh, interesting." It it might not be that I'm like. It's not that I don't like guys. It's that I don't like really stereotypical like this is the ideal of masculinity that's been shoved down your throat your whole life mm-hmm. type of guys right i'm like no it just yeah. didn't. it's okay but like eh, it's not really my thing and you know just for if that's what you see as the default everywhere then you can kind of go oh i suppose i don't like that you know <laughs> and then you're like oh wait okay no guys can be super hot if they you just have anything slightly more interesting going on <laughs> If they try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just have to be a guy with a hobby. Uh, t- tweet at Alex. Alex, what's that Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit me up if you look like uh, if you look like Kamisato Ayato from Genshin Impact, because mm, he's doing it for me. Apparently my type is like a uh, subtle political manipulator (laughs) hand of the shadows (laughs) amazing any any cute white hat hackers out there (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you look like any of the killers or survivors from dead by daylight tweet dante (laughs) (laughs) are we all telling people what they should tweet us at if they look like something (laughs) oh S- send your audition VHS tapes. Oh God! <laughs> if you've got an at least okay skincare routine and you think way more about food justice than is probably emotionally healthy for you, mail me a zine and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate expression. Yes. Well, okay. But yeah, I uh, I uh, going back to earlier was sort of sitting there going, did I make a game that's queerer than I am? That's like, is that possible? I guess technically, but like, seems weird now that I think about it. Uh, you know, it was sort of like, you know, talking it over with my wife and things at various times. And was just like, I don't know. And then I was just like, well, I mean, I, I might as well say that I'm just like, I'm pansexual, but also like weirdly picky about some certain particular <laughs> things. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And ev- everyone's attraction is going to look different. Like, uh, and uh, cool, and it, and it sounds like that kind of like not wanting to like not wanting to constrain yourself to like fitting a specific la- uh, label or like you you don't have to feel like pot committed to like the sexuality that you are picking on paper. Like it definitely sounds like that resonates here in Dragon Hearts, where you can you can change whatever you want whenever you want. 
um and like yeah. that is an extremely appealing like power to have um mm-hmm. yeah so i, I that, that that i definitely see that uh it in this it's really cool thank you well if, if anyone else uh becomes queer because of dragon hearts like hit me up that would absolutely yeah. make my fucking day to just be like, <laughs> if we if we crack your dragon egg yes ah! <laughs> yes oh, yeah, i will say that like hearing about how you looked back at it and realized a lot of things uh resonated a lot with me because like uh four or five years ago when i was still writing uh short horror i wrote like a full like little teeny tiny novella a novelette maybe um uh from the perspective of like a trans character doing things that i would want to do and i was like oh wouldn't it be fun to be trans too bad i can't anyway And now, you know, five years later, uh, taking estrogen before the podcast starts, it's like, oh, man, I can't believe I took this long. I'm a very slow person to change. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's hard to let realize it. for a bit. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. We, we grew up in, like, a time when it was not particularly normalized at all, and it just takes a while to, like dig out and interrogate and like it's the water you're swimming in and you don't realize it's there yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's a maybe this is yeah. like oh uh, uh, maybe we'll cut this bit out i don't know if it's going to be fruitful or not but uh and I, I think i talked to maybe john and dante about it but one of the exercises that my therapist had me do because uh, i was sort of talking about like am i really trans if i am finding out like not this late i mean i'm not i'm in my late 20s um but like, it, does that make me not really trans? And and she was like, well, like, how old were you when you first realized what being trans was, or like met a trans person? Mm. Uh, and having growing up, grown up in Texas, I did not like face to face meet a trans person until I was twenty five, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, uh, and I never like spoke with a trans person like over over Discord or Zoom or whatever uh, and, uh, until I was like twenty three, and I was in like a Destiny clan. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, was, um, but yeah, I don't. Uh, is, would that be fun for people? Do you want to talk about like, I guess timelines? What, what timelines? Maybe like what what queer media was important to you, uh, or or you know, we talked about the mummy already. I guess. <laughs> I mean, to tie it into dragon themes from earlier, uh, a short story by Bruce Coville that was part of an anthology of LGBTQ themed short stories was one of the first times I read something that was about queerness and actively oh. knew that that's what it was about. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a reductive short story, story when I think about it. Um, it was uh, an anthology called Am I Blue? Um, and I think that I'd have to double check this because I think the title story was by Cole. I kind of want to search this fast. Essentially, it's a premise of like a kid who gets a fairy godfather, as in literally like the spirit of a gay man who, when he died and got asked, like, what he wanted to do with his afterlife, was like, I want to be a fairy godfather. And they're like, uh, <laughs> we need to go specialize some paperwork. People haven't really asked for that before. So and it was kind of an intense story premise. Like, he literally died via a hate crime, I believe. Oh, um, And then wants to come back as, like, a guiding spirit to help queer youth. And he's specifically, like, helping out this very anxious, questioning kid who doesn't know what his own deal is. Mm-hmm. Um, who essentially asks him for gaydar. And so suddenly, <laughs> if, like, people are queer, they look blue-tinted to him. Hence the Am I Blue mm. uh, theme. 
you know, and it, a whole bunch of stuff happens, and, like, I think the conclusion is, like, him wishing to, like, have it work for everyone for a day, and so it's, like, a, a whole bunch of stuff cascades and scatters, you know, and, like, people are having to deal mm-hmm. with the fact that, like, a lot of folks who are openly homophobic have their own feeling dimensions, or, like, mm-hmm. some people are realizing stuff about themselves, and so there were cool things and reductive things about it, but it's a whole anthology of stuff, um... That's like like actively like an anthology written for youth that mm. is about queerness, um, and nice. so I'd probably run into some stuff that relate to it earlier just because my parents were like weird, lovely hippies. But I think that I got access to earlier than I got access to their entire 1980s underground comic collection. So uh, <laughs> if I hadn't gotten that stuff earlier, then I certainly would have figured out what queerness and transness were at age 15 when I suddenly had <laughs> access to a bunch of vintage dykes to watch out for strips and also comics <laughs> anthologies written during the AIDS epidemic. Let's um, go. Wow. So yeah, that's my route. <laughs> so I figured out I was trans when I was a teenager, but that's not shocking. I had a head start on a lot of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bruce Coville, props to him. Cool dragons and LGBTQ affirming. Oh, yeah. That's great. I, I hadn't yeah. really kept up with him. Uh, I keep sort of remembering his name. Like, oh, I loved all his little books and stuff. And, and uh, you know, he had some really good alien ones where it was very yeah. like, alien civilization is like we don't have war because it's a bad idea mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and you know big uh oh that was uh the first time that i ever encountered a non-binary character which you know they Ooh. didn't have the word for it then but there were in uh, one of his book series there were some aliens and one of them is the tar gibbons uh who uses it pronouns and is like nice. a cool martial arts master with a bunch of arms and is like you know a, just a very like beloved character who is like really important to the protagonist and mm-hmm. you're oh, just yeah. like awesome this is great yep uh, the anthology is called am i blue coming out from the silence and bruce coville did write the title story all right um so for this last bit where we talk about the game that we played um uh, I know some of us were saying, like, talk about our very favorite parts, and then also we probably want to talk about how it ended. Do we want to each, like, just start by saying, like, what our favorite scene was, or what our favorite moment was, or something like that? I'm into it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I can go first. Um, I think my favorite mental image from the entire game is uh, after the the Lunar Castle, or the Castle Luna... Uh, has been dragged into the uh, ocean by these like growing uh, seaweed plant vines mm-hmm. um, and has been completely overtaken and is like drowned in its own little drowned majesty. Uh, and then West and Lore have this like dream meeting yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I think just like for, visually for the eyes inside my brain, that was, that was the coolest thing for me uh, was that, you know, over the course of many scenes, we had kind of created this really neat environment for that to happen. So, you know, and there was nothing like manufactured to it. It just, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, that's what happened, which is really cool how like emergent it was. Yeah, to, to piggyback off of that, like I, I loved how organic a lot of the drama and uh, like storytelling was in this. Um in particular, like, a moment that stands out to me was during the, like, arena magic, um, like, display when, uh, I proposed that Felizio burn away the forest that West had grown 
which Moss then uh, said, like, they were going to do as a move. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you like, hadn't done it, I was going to do it, but you what, did it. It was so good. What amazing synchronicity there, where I, we were just on the same wavelength of what would add narrative, like, tension, or, or what would add, like, uh, narrative, like, uh, like, drama and significance to this. Mm-hmm. Um we both wanted to reach the same message. I, I thought that that was fantastic. Yeah, I think thematically that that part of the scene is kind of like the center that the rest of the game kind of spins yes. around in my mind. Mm-hmm. Very much so. The conflicting approaches of our dragon diplomats and how they're trying to do different things but are ultimately like going to end up in the same culminating moment below the Sky Mountain forming the New World. Yeah. yeah. Oh, if I can interrupt our, our little round, mm-hmm. uh, or I could do this later, but right. I was thinking of asking about your opinions of the the uh, sort of endgame scenes, and I really was mm-hmm. interested in your, like, what if we just threw in some other moves from other games in here? And I was like, oh, that's kind of yeah. cool. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. I spliced I... <laughs> and diced them. Yeah. Right. The main thing that I sort of tried to do in uh, in that set of scenes was keep it to like maybe be like a 15 or 30 minute thing because often you'll sort of, you know. Not realize, on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which which was great, uh, to be clear. But I was definitely like one of my little sub goals was because uh, in in uh, Firebrands there's a little bit of an epilogue game, but it's not like there's not too much there. You know, you just sort of go around and say a couple things, and then there's a a voting process that I was like, I'm taking this out. But uh, <laughs> thank you, because you you all sort of make up your own idea of what happens at the end and then like you vote to see who's is the best and i was oh. like eh, i don't know about that and, you know they, they also took that out in the king is dead the next game has its whole whole own different thing with cards and stuff but uh i sort of wanted to have like an end game that you could do and have a satisfying ending if you realized that like you all need to go at eight and it's seven forty-five now and you've just like <laughs> oh shit <laughs> which is why the, the, the scene sort of starts with like you wake up wait were you asleep i guess you're on the sky mountain now okay this is happening (laughs) you were pretty sure that it wasn't gonna happen now but it is all right deal with it uh kind of framing because i just wanted that to be able to slam in at any given moment yeah uh and then sort of have the like okay you do the scene you do the epilogue and you're out of there but now i'm like Oh, but then again, what if you did more stuff? <laughs> I, I love long, luxurious scenes, uh, so trying to write kind of brevity-enabling ones is is very strange for me. I was looking at all the white space on those pages being like, what if I put more stuff in there and resisting doing it? But maybe I shouldn't resist. Maybe I should. Uh, I... At least having a, having a little, yeah. like, hey, if there's something you want to do that's a prompt for one of the other games, like, I can't stop you. Go for it. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting though to know how some of your design was informed by the fact that I know you have, as you spoke about, played a lot of one-shot games mm-hmm. at events where someone does have to go at a set time. Right. right. I think that is hilarious that you designed around the RPG player's perpetual habit of overplaying. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Like, I wouldn't even know how to begin codifying the ending that we 
made together. Like, nor would I think that we would have arrived at that ending if it was, like, a, if it was, like, laid out as, like, a set of rules to guide you to it. Like, mm-hmm. it, I almost wonder if there is, like, a a value in kind of, like, a vague gesturing at, like, openness in this section. Um, yeah, because it's definitely the most closed off one and like mm-hmm. that does serve sometimes but also sometimes it doesn't so yeah i could definitely see maybe messing with that as yeah. i uh as i tinker with the game at some point um no promises listeners but like <laughs> we'll see we'll see how things go i i know that i was Understood. really hopped up on my own idea of like um pick any prompt from any game and bring it into the finale. That was really fun. I yeah. think you got so hyped. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, if, if, if you, I, I think, well, that, that would be my suggestion. No, I wrote that down. Yeah. Add a like free for, sure. for all codicil into the, into the eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an, an interesting thing that I find in this game and in Firebrand's games in general is like the only problem that i've noticed Mm -hmm. is that like sometimes scenes take too long and like the Mm -hmm. only problem with that is that you run out of time if you're on a stream or whatever right yeah Uh, or if like you have players where you know not everyone's in every scene and if you've got mm -hmm. folks where it's feeling imbalanced then that can be frustrating but those are problems that are not inherent to the firebrands game system that's also about structural communication among game groups and setting shared norms yeah and i one of the things that i love and i like i don't know how to emphasize it even more than I have without like writing a little advice section about it, which I may well do, mm-hmm. is the the rule of like anyone who is not in the scene can ask questions about anything that is happening at any time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that is such an important and useful and like fun power to wield mm-hmm. that I can't mm-hmm. recommend it strongly enough. You know, even just saying like, oh, what what color is the laser? You know, and then you mm-hmm. can see the person is like, oh. I didn't really think about uh Will there be pur- poetic significance purple? to this laser color? And you're like, oh, it's, yes, it's purple. Everyone loves that, you know. And whether they said it was yellow, like any any possible answer rules. And now yeah. you all have built your little <laughs> mind picture a little more clearly and a little more synced up with each other, which is, is fun yeah. when you want to. It's making me think of, I've still never played Pasión de los Pasiones. Ah, uh, yeah. Good. But I know that's one where... You are both playing a character in a telenovela, and you also have a given role as one of the family members watching the telenovela. Yes. So there's an understanding that you are both player and spectator built into the game, and you can have both of those roles at different points in the game. So I'm just I'm very pro spectator roles as a as like a codified pointed out thing. Um, yeah. I mean, you know good. this too, Alex. Like you and I have played a massive amount of um golden sky stories together where i don't even remember if this is oh no this is in the game we just have used it to an absurd degree where you can literally give other characters essentially dreams which is basically a token that means hey i think that thing you just did was cool yeah Um, so you get to like gesturally hype up other players for doing things that you think are narratively fun and it lets them do more narrative stuff in the game do you want to know a secret because that's the that's the first thing in the game is you have your fractal dreams and then you're like you know you have those oh, symbols you're introducing i see what you mean them. okay 
And then when you do the ritual, you know, you, you do the end game scene, there's like, what what thing from your dream is here? Hey, hey, remember your dreams. Remember <laughs> That's the cool stuff you made super up. super cool. Yeah, because I, I love... Like, hey, establish motifs. <laughs> yeah, do it. You know, because if you're like, oh, like, the the character has had a dream about like plants growing out of the ground and turning into red chains that hold them down or something and then uh-huh. later on you're like i gotta bring those red chains back <laughs> yeah and then you know somebody else is like and then my character turns the chains into bone and then they're bone chains now and then like oh then i absorb the bone chains into my own bones like, yeah this is good shit like you know you just have to you just have to give people stuff to work with yeah. and they'll make cool stuff out of it like that's the secret of storytelling you just say a bunch of cool shit and like remember a little bit of it and then bring it back later and it oh remix it's, it's always good yeah mess with congrats, it congrats it's, it's folklore now that's so yeah. cool i i i, I love think- that we don't have a tagline yet for the podcast we can do we're making good stuff out of it or, or cool stuff out of it whatever it you said. i like that i mean we've got a recording we can go back and check yes yeah no that's yeah also dante don't feel bad about worrying about your answer being a cop-out because literally um our two uh, the two initial answers we got from john and leah were the two scenes that i was considering referencing nice um i really i I, because i loved that moment john where you set a thing on fire that i was planning to set on fire and hoping maybe someone else would set on fire Mm -hmm. before me and i loved the synchronicity of um lore and west meeting under the ocean in this way that was like yeah sort of culminated a bunch of themes that had been building and establishing throughout, like, our fractal dreams and the gradual, like, encroachment of the plant life and the rise of the water. And, yeah, those both made me really happy. I was, like, trying to think of if there's another moment I wanted to shout out. I think, I also just want to shout, like, I think the first time that Mira breathed nostalgia mm. onto things. And we got to see that, like, narratively interact. Like, at the party, I think. Um, or, like, the party, I forget if it was during the party or the party aftermath, but, like when you imbued all the, like, party favors. Um, yeah, I was trying to remember, like, I don't remember if that was, like, the absolute first time you breathed nostalgia or not, but, like, when you did that, I was like, oh, dang. Like, this is, this is why the breath options are so varied and esoteric, so that we can do things like this. <laughs> but, like, I think that's where the, this, like, I think that's where, like, R- this RPG and RPGs in general really shine, right? Because we can go into, th- we could do, it- it's all theater of the mind, baby. Um, yeah. Like. We don't have to code it. No, we can get weird with it. Bleed yeah. confetti, become a haunted doll. Yeah. <laughs> I do, uh, that kind of makes me want to talk about, uh, John, do you remember Blind Gods? The game yeah. I started oh, running, like, so two years fun. ago. So I was running into the problem of, like, well, you know, you're, when I play a D&D game, we never get to level 20. Yeah. We never get past level 5, normally. Mm. John's campaigns, we do. We get to, like, 8 or 9, usually. <laughs> um, but I was like, I want to get to some of these crazy powerful things. And then I was like, what if you reverse the thing entirely, where the players have 100% of the power, which, uh, you know, honestly, is this entire genre, is everyone's co-creating things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. building the story together. Um, but my idea was what if everyone is the God of one thing and it can be a little broader. It can be very, very specific. Um, and then that council of gods is tasked with helping someone who's, who their powers are not at all suited to help. So if you have like the God of destruction and chaos has to help 
Jim get a promotion at work, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you use your specific powers to do that? Um, so the, the, the GM had no power at all, and the, the players were the gods of the game. And, uh, that sounds delightful. Yeah. I, I had so much fun. Yeah. Also, it makes me think if, um, yeah, if anyone hasn't read uh, Ursula Vernon, a.k.a. pen name T. Kingfisher's stuff, she's got a lot of books that involve wildly specific magic talents oh, that people then so figure good. out how to apply. Like, there's one called The Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking. <laughs> about like a young magic adept but she can specifically affect baked goods and dough but she has to defend the city from an encroaching uh like colonial force awesome oh that's (laughs) yeah very fun there's that kind of stuff and you get and you also get like things there's characters there's like someone who can only their magic only affects dead horses (laughs) like they can animate dead horses that's Um, so specific i love it you know, like you get you get stuff like that. I'm trying to remember some of the some of the other ones, but it, that sounds like that would mesh very well with like the concept of a game uh, of a game system like Blind Gods, mm-hmm. where like yeah. you get really specific, but then you have to do something. Yeah, for sure. That doesn't inherently gel. That also reminded me of uh, my favorite moment was Lord talking to plants and then talking to the world as it like woke up from sleeping as you got the living world that was really cool that was just a a lovely moment of like (laughs) sort of this this peace and hope amidst the like destruction and and battle that was going on and i was just like oh that's at least at least someone can talk to plants like things are gotta be at least a little (laughs) bit okay after that yeah i really like that i mean while it was happening i was like you know this is you know, I'm talking to the planet, the planet is talking to me. That's very, like, stereotypical hippie stuff, but it also, like, it's so... It works really well. There's a reason that it's a stereotype, and it's because it's great. Yeah. Also, we earned you it know? narratively. Oh, it didn't yeah. just pop yes, up. Yes, yeah. Like, Laura literally bled a bunch for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole nature yes, of your blood yeah. changed to get us to that point, so... And yeah. yeah, people, like, bled and shattered and got turned into molten bronze. Yeah. And- yeah like we really did a lot with like the shape-shifting and the combat Mm -hmm. and like both the casual shape-shifting and the dramatic ritual shape-shifting so that may be very props for that yeah yeah oh can i get i get a second one yeah Uh, because i'm the designer i get two uh so my (laughs) other favorite one (laughs) was when uh mira was fighting with felicio or being fought with by felicio and had the uh like i'm going to pull in the the you know parts of your body and form them into the cracks of my forest linen kintsugi them because i was like sitting there listening to this and i was like oh this is so cool this is great and then i was just like oh my gosh what if they what if they what if they pulled the brass in and it was like kintsugi <laughs> no i can't say it i can't interrupt like this is so cool this is your thing. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but oh, that would be so cool. And then like three seconds later, you said it. And I was like, yeah, it's that thing I wanted. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was, it's just, you're just like, oh, if only it happened like this. And then it immediately does. What a wonderful feeling. So satisfying. Oh, I'm glad you had that moment. Cause I got to have that moment when Felicio set the forest on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was thinking it was the same. So, so good. My favorite moment. Uh, so like, I, I, I said that moment earlier when we, like, uh, me and Moss had that synchronicity, but my favorite moment is, I mean, the the, the, the climax. Like, you know, yeah. the huge, the big dramatic dialogue 
between Felicio and uh and Mira when I got to you know finally reveal that Felicio's breath was was broken song uh and that then, was like, so cool like layers of like, layers of artifice that I'd kind of been like chewing on for like the weeks that we've been playing this or I got to kind of yeah. like finally find ways to articulate that where like Felicio has been like so badly it was Felicio was like nursing these wounds where like he has felt hurt by people and now feels like he like everything is a competition and he needs to like be the loudest voice in the room and do that for himself otherwise because no one else he cannot trust anyone else and no one else will lift him up to do it like um and then you got literally lifted up. Yeah, and then I got and literally the Chekhov's gun you planted during character creation. It, it, it was great. It was it was inc- it was so incredibly narratively satisfying. Uh, I I absolutely loved it. Um, something else that I thought was inc- really fascinating was the evolution of like Felicio uh, Felicio's ideology from like you know gag to like power struggle. Like, it, it, by, so by this I mean, like, so Felicio was, I mean, you know, Felicio Felicio de Barbecue, the, the, the sun dragon of the glowing cum gutters, was always a bit. Like, he was a, a, a index card full of jokes that I wrote. Um, and, like, I very then, I very then quickly kind of gave him this, like, central flaw of, like, you know, of like vanity as fueled by like trying to protect himself and then when i put that into the context of someone who wanted power very badly like it's amazing how like this uh kind of like extreme libertarian ideology kind of like like, (laughs) germinated from it it's it was so because it was just like it was this it was very natural and logical where it's like felicio thinks like felicio is absolutely untrustworthy of anybody else around him and wants to protect himself desperately but doesn't want to show any weakness so his struggle for power has to be not a defense mechanism but an offense that's meant to achieve protection for everyone so that no one has to be hurt so that no one uh like ha- so that everyone has is able to like raise themselves up everyone can be their own island to the nth degree um and it like it it's amazing how like the i the i like it's amazing how like the the deep hurt of wanting to protect himself plus wanting power equals like i mean i can't phrase it any better than like you know like uh extreme libertarianism like it was it was uh, i think we goofed about that while you were developing it yeah we absolutely did but like it, it was it was so interesting when like put on the spot like that's what made sense and i came up with and i was like i didn't plan that or think about that like uh it it just i don't know it 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 feels like it lends it feels like it it lends itself like insight into like you know the the people who believe that and like i personally do not ascribe to those ideologies but like it felt like i understood those people better now um 
It, nice. Yeah, or like, and of course, like I mean, the, like I I don't attri- I don't attribute this as like you know truth that I gained internally. Like this this would de- this of course demands like you know uh, discussion with people who do ascribe to these ideologies. Um, but like you know, it, it was. Which we won't be doing. We will <laughs> not, not on be this podcast. interviewing <laughs> not on, libertarians. Not on, air, you know, but like, on your own time. <laughs> yeah, on my own time. But, uh, like, it was really interesting uh, how, like, a, a, it was very interesting how these, like, psychologies naturally developed for me. That's great. I'm character. glad. Yeah. I feel like I rambled. Um, oh, you're good. Okay. I think it's nice when a game generates the kind of creative excitement that leads to analytical rambling, though. Mm-hmm. And I think in a certain way, it also loops back into the fact that, like, you know, games probably aren't, they're not going to be the only piece of someone's self-discovery process, either in learning about themselves or learning to understand other people or parts of the world. But they're not a bad element to have within those things, mm-hmm. I say as a trans person who named myself out of a game. <laughs> um, right. You know? They like can you... be processing, they processes processing tools. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Because I think for me, it's it's a lot of like, you need to imagine something before you can do it, right? Like if you can't conceive of it, then how are you going to implement it? And mm-hmm. I feel like the thing that I love about tabletop RPGs, especially, is that they're just imagination practice you're just putting yourself into different roles you're putting yourself into different situations and you're going huh how would this go or you know you're making up Mm -hmm. characters and seeing what they would do and it's just uh of an empathy training you know in the same way that reading books is and you're like oh i'm going to this world someone else is doing right next up these liberals are empathy training now (laughs) your youth Boy, it does. It, it's uh, it's uh, it's a secret project in Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. <laughs> that's that's. But that's, no, you're you're one hundred percent right. You know, nothing. Like I feel like there is a pipeline of like playing an edgy drow rogue to like playing something that is not at all min max. That's just a character with a with a with a story. Who you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you're interested in inhabiting a person, and then combat's just kind of there. You know. Yeah, um, which is why I I very deliberately said like you can't die in this yeah. game. You can't really be meaningfully hurt. You know, if somebody says, "Oh, my character has antimatter breath," and then they shoot you with it, and like you disappear, then like you're back. Mm-hmm. You're fine. You know, you <laughs> you fall asleep. You have a nice uh nap scene, and then like you're you're good to go next scene. Oh, yeah. It's all good. And if you say, I get out of the way of your antimatter breath, then you do, you know. I, I like so <laughs> that you uh, remove death as a consequence in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... It helped us find weirder consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's just more interesting to have something else happen instead, right? And like, that's that's very intentionally why you specifically fall asleep, because then it leads you back into your fractal dream, leads you back into, like, the, the themes and the, the plots motifs. that you've been exploring. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that's that's sort of just... It just keeps the story flowing, keeps the story rolling, you know? And I feel like as long as the story keeps rolling, then, like, it's gonna be good. Yeah. I definitely... There are games I enjoy that have death in them, but I like it when that's intentionally engaged with in terms of like what do you want death to do to help with story stuff yeah i'm a big uh yeah 
Because you know, downfall ends of... with destruction, but like <laughs> mm-hmm. not inherently death, but maybe death. Um, but the point is that like you're watching a civilization fall, not necessarily that specific people do or don't die. I also love Fiasco's note because in Fiasco you can absolutely die, but they're like this game isn't linear though, so like you can just still be alive in some scenes because it's a like heist gone wrong kind of yeah, plot is yeah. one of the classic styles of it. So you can always flash back to how you made the terrible decisions that led to your death. <laughs> Um, and you can do side commentary, um, and things. So I like it when games think about why there is or isn't death and what it does narratively, as opposed to just like, of course you can be killed because this is a game with fights. Yeah. Um, right. You have to have hit points. The hit points have to go down. And I suppose if they go down, then you must eventually die. And is there a, is that fun or interesting? Like probably not almost, Never, in mm. my opinion, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, the the absurdity of which is well portrayed in uh, Brian David Gilbert's masterful calculating the hit points of your pets yes. video. <laughs> yes. So good. If you ever want to see a, a fun take on death in games, I strongly recommend Taylor LeBrush's The Treasure at the End of This Dungeon is an escape from this dungeon and we will never escape from this dungeon. Uh, which it's is kind of all there in the title. Oh, I have no treasure and I must dungeon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very surreal, very cool, mm-hmm. and you have things like, you know, if you're the, the sort of spellcaster class, then like, every time you die, you just come back again and your magic is a little bit different mm-hmm. now. Um... Yeah. Or I actually wrote uh, a very fun uh, self for that, which are the playbooks called yes. The Editor, where you are a character who has realized that the dungeon you are in is made out of words. Uh, and so you get to edit the book that you are in and also your own character sheets when you die. Oh, it's kind fun. of fun. So the, in the game that I'm writing right now, um, what I've done is like create. So if, if you run to zero hit points, you have taken what I've like labeled as um, like, I believe like, critical damage or lethal damage or something like that mm-hmm. but at this point uh so my my game is a hack of powered by the apocalypse um and once you reach zero you check you go to like your character page and you check one of like five boxes that i have and you know some of those boxes are like um you come back but you are cyber augmented and in incredible debt or maybe you come <laughs> you come back with the scars to prove it take like one permanent stat reduction um, but then the last thing that I have are the three options, uh, where it's like you die, one of them is, uh, there are the three different ways you can choose to die. Um, and one of them is you die, uh, but before you do, you can do one more thing and it's a crit. Like no matter what you choose to mm-hmm. do, your next action will be a critical success and you do, send off, yeah, yeah. And you do that and then you're done. And then the next, the next one is you get, you guys all get back to base and it's time to get your affairs in, or, in order because it's time to go. Um, and it's more dramatic and drawn out. And then the last one is, uh, oops, I didn't see that coming. You just straight up die on the spot. You just, <laughs> just beef it. it. You, you straight up beef it. Yeah. <laughs> you just ingloriously fall on the spear. And that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clip through the wall. Vault into space. Because I love the idea of giving someone agency over their character's exit. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Considering how much RPGs are narrative building, it's like, why not narrative build around death? Precisely. If you're going to do it. Yeah. 
I wish that we got to play in each other's arms, or I wish that I got to play in each other's arms with uh, for one game. It's a good game. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I regret uh, my devotion to having at each other's throats and in each other's arms be like the pair of games because it just. <laughs> It's just, it's so fun to say. Yeah, uh, it is. The the interesting thing about that and about the uh, stealing time together in Firebrands and most of the, like, related mm-hmm. games in other yeah. uh, hacks is that, like, it's not, it doesn't have to be a romantic scene. It can just be, like, an intense conversation that, you know, where you are standing and moving and touching, like, is important in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like it's it's continually surprising to me i think how much like i'm like hey i put hearts in the title and also like on the cover and you know like it's it's a it's a romance game and like the amount of romance that does not get accomplished (laughs) in this game is like wild to me it's very alex you made the diplomacy too cool (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) yeah we could play a horny redux off mic um, I'm sure we could all come up with characters that would be more romanceful. Also, speaking about, like, the stealing time together and related scene genres, I can say from experience, uh, it's a good scene type for tenderly caring for another player's wounds, perhaps oh, after you fought them. That's so good. Yeah, you can do some real fanfic shit with it. That's oh, been man. some of my favorite I, I, I wanted, stuff. I wanted that uh, at each other's throats leading into in each other's arms scene real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, I recently did a, a playthrough of Dragon Hearts on Forever GM, uh, which is a, a podcast that I am on, mm. and we just I promise you, listeners, there is a kiss eventually. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Did you slow burn it? Wow! It takes a minute, <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, it, it partially takes a minute intentionally at the end because I was like, all right, now I want to draw this out just to uh, troll people's lives <laughs> because. Now that we know it's going and the to happen. kiss happens for three episodes. <laughs> yeah, but like it's it's, it's like very... a power up in Dragon Ball. The kiss just <laughs> yes, yeah, very happening. much so. It's it's just like uh, an interesting theme that I feel like I've noticed. Where like I sort of designed this game to be like you can you can have your your you know romance at your horniness levels at like whatever you want, uh, mm-hmm. and people very frequently will go for like a very like tender slow mm-hmm. burn like you know oh will they or won't they and then they sort of are like oh shit we ran out of time on the stream we never got the romance and i'm like dang it <laughs> come on <laughs> so if you're if your home games of dragon hearts have have gone places mm-hmm. like tell me because as far as i know like geez there have been like five ki- successful kisses in like all of dragon hearts <laughs> history and games that i've seen it's too fun alex writes a new mini game called a quickie <laughs> yeah like i just we gotta get it out there we gotta do something welcome to welcome to the dlc dragon fuckers i yes. definitely <laughs> thought of making that at various points do i just gotta release like a dragon hearts after dark version yeah. like, <laughs> i'll do it I, I think that's very sweet that Dragon Hearts historically has slow burn romances in it. It's very cute. And it's, you know, it's often like, you, because obviously queer people have good taste. We have a lot of yeah. queer people playing the game. They're like, oh, you want to play it like this, this like queer romance where like there just aren't any problems in the way. Mm-hmm. Like nobody is making our characters feel bad for who they are, but like they're, they still want to take their little time to get to know each other and dance and then maybe have another dance. Yeah. And you're like, good, but like. You 
the audience needs these characters to kiss. Do you understand? <laughs> just just add a rule at the top called Chekhov smooch. Somebody's got to <laughs> smooch. And of course they don't. You know, I, I, I have like very specific rules in there of like you get to say whether your character's open for romance. It's always on your character sheet. You can change it at mm-hmm. any time. You know, you can be like, nope, no, thank you. I'm all good. But it's it's just very... It, very much defied my expectations that I was like, oh, people are going to like go nuts, right? <laughs> they're going to get a hold of this game and they're just going to be like, yeah, really right. you, going you for remove it. Remove limitations and you remove limitations and inhibitions and like make everybody like powerful and able to be whatever they want and do whatever they want. And, and yet those kinds of like slow burn romances and kind of like tender moments prevail. I think that, like I said, what I the think the people that's want sweet. is to cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about this? Uh, if if any of us want to write romancy fanfiction, we do it. If any of the listeners want to write romancy fanfic, send it in to gtrtpcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll do a special episode where we read them live. I don't know. I don't want to commit to that. So like, yes, so we have to write you're committed to it. So I think that'd be <laughs> so much fun. Uh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, we're not going to read it the first time live on air. Yeah, you can't make us read literally anything. We do have to check <laughs> what we want to commit ourselves to. Am I included in this Can I Write Up? Oh, yeah, sure, if you, if you like. <laughs> of course! You know, include cum gutters in the subject line and we'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right, you're going to get put on an FBI watch list. (laughs) They don't know what it means. They assume that they're like aqueducts. (laughs) I'm trying to see if there's any good games in the bundle that are more romance-themed. I haven't... I'm just looking at titles. There's one called When You Meet Your Doppelganger on the Road, You Must Make Out With Them. That sounds promising. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a two-player game about meeting your doppelganger on the road and then making the decision about whether or not to make out with them. Um, so yeah, it's a horror game with smooching. <laughs> yeah, oh, so uh, lots of awesome. lots of fun options. We'll we'll have to we'll have to scan through mm. more. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a great time to wrap yeah. up because it's mm-hmm. it's getting pretty late. The same thing. We've been recording for about two hours. I don't know how all, how long it is by the time yep. it makes it to official podcast feed, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, I want again to thank Alex for coming on and answering all of our questions and and providing such wonderful insight yeah. into the creation of your game. Um, and of course, thank you to all of you for playing it and hanging out. Uh, you know, four weeknights uh, is is not yeah. nothing. So I, of course, we appreciate all that. Uh, and thanks to everyone at home for uh, listening yeah. and sticking with us. Um, God, this is so much if fun. you want to, yeah. Uh, if you want to find the podcast on social media, uh, you can go to Twitter at, at GTRTPCast. If you want to email us your smutty fanfiction, it's GTRTPCast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a YouTube page under GTRTPCast that I need to keep updated because uploading videos takes a lot longer than uploading audio. Um, but yeah, uh, Alex, would you like to plug all of your information so people can find you and buy your game? Yeah, sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at a fractal dragon, and my games are at fractaldragon.itch.io. Uh, I'm also on the Forever GM podcast. That's number four Ever GM, uh, where we're also playing Dragon Hearts. That is probably going to come out eh, 
whenever it gets edited, but they have we have lots of great uh, backlog on that as well, playing other fun games. Uh, and you can find uh, some games that I made with my friend Lara on the podcast Unplaytested, which is currently on hiatus, but we made a bunch of cool stuff uh, making up games sort of live <laughs> on the air and playing them. And yeah, if you liked this, you'll probably like uh, Nox Apud Opera Arcanum, the queer wizard opera dueling game. Ooh. Uh, would anyone else like to plug any projects or social media or anything that they're on? Soon. Very soon. <laughs> okay. As usual, uh, I'm at uh, Adonorama on Twitter and at Beating the Binary on TikTok and Instagram. Twitter is the best place to see me talk about RPGs. TikTok is the best place to hear me talk about the absurdities of cisgender heterosexuality and how it influences home decor in the United <laughs> States. I don't know why that is what I do on TikTok now. It is what trans people on TikTok follow me for. So it's what I do. Um, yeah, and uh, if you can, uh, donate to your local abortion fund. Yes. Donate to a Planned Parenthood near you. Um... Yeah, keep an eye on Do What You Can, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you in the next one. Hell yeah. Yay. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, we don't have a sign-off yet, do we? <laughs> we should just ask everyone what their favorite dragon influences are now, whether or not their game is about dragons. <laughs>